Ladies and gentlemen, we are about to begin our descent into Los Angeles. The sound you just heard is the landing gear locking into place. Los Angeles weather is clear, temperature 72. We expect to make our four hour and 18 minute flight on schedule. We have enjoyed having you on board and look forward to seeing you again in the near future. The Graduate is often billed as a comedy and while it is insanely funny, it does a lot more than merely tickle your chuckle muscle. It has themes and emotional temperatures that run much hotter and colder than just laughter. From its very opening shot, The Graduate doesn't only verbalise those emotional temperatures, it visualises them. As we hear the pilot announce the plane's descent into Los Angeles airport, Benjamin Braddock sits in his seat and stares blankly ahead. And although he will have an affair with a woman more than 20 years his senior, his face will remain the same blank, anxious, confused visage almost through to the very end of the picture. That Dustin Hoffman was cast as Benjamin Braddock was crucial and one of the many, many brilliant choices made by the film's young director, Mike Nichols. Nichols knew he was taking an enormous risk. It was an enormous risk because every hot young actor in Hollywood was chasing the role, all the stars included. Warren Beatty was seriously considered. Steve McQueen was shortlisted. Robert Redford was actually cast. That was until Nichols realised he was completely wrong for the part. But in order to understand why these young actors were even considered in the first place, we have to appreciate the material and the times in which the film was made. This was still the mid-60s, when the likes of Marlon Brando, Steve McQueen and Warren Beatty were considered movie stars. They each had a unique screen presence, strong public images, and most importantly, they each oozed sexual charisma. And on the page, The Graduate read as a story about a young man whose virility is so irresistible, he magnetises an older woman and then charges off like a bull and beds the woman's daughter. That may be the dream of many a red-blooded male, but it undersells the material. If The Graduate had stayed that way, it would have been a sex farce, and a sex farce was not what Mike Nichols was going for. No, Nichols saw The Graduate as something else entirely, and what he saw was satire with a little tragedy. And that, in a nutshell, is what makes a great director. The ability to take a script and bring it to a place no one else expects. Under Nichols' direction, Benjamin is not so much a stud muffin back from the East Coast intent on bedding every woman in California, Rather, he is a confused, adult young man who has no idea what his position in the world is. Ben, what are you doing? Well, I would say that I'm just drifting here in the pool. Why? Well, it's very comfortable just to drift here. Have you thought about graduate school? No. Would you mind telling me then what those four years of college were for? What was the point of all that hard work? You got me. Most directors consider a story as a series of scenes, but Nichols understood that a scene is never good enough for an actor. A scene has to be an event, and that event has to unleash the insecurities that in real life cause us to make the wrong choice. Here is the director himself talking about how to identify a good dramatic situation. Look, there's only one question. What is this really like? Never mind the conventions and the decisions we've all made together, what is it really like when this happens? That there's something that is happening under and beside and around and in spite of the words that is a, an event that can only be described as an event because there's something happening that the audience perceives that is more important than what anyone is saying. Uh, without it, you don't have drama. 
It's in spite of the text. It is truer than the text. It is what's happening. So, Nichols went a lot further than just clever casting and careful characterization. What he did was find the event and layer in its themes in a visual manner. The event is emotional suffocation, and the next time you're watching it, notice the use of water. We spend a lot of time around the swimming pool and glass. Windows, phone booths, car windshields and sunglasses. And as if that were not enough, Nichols then doubles his scheme by putting the water and glass together. Repeatedly throughout the story, we see Benjamin either in front of, staring at, or looking through the fish tank that sits in his bedroom. Hey, what's the matter? Guess we're all downstairs, Ben, waiting to see you. Dad, can you explain to them that I have to be alone for a while? These are all our good friends, Ben. Most of them have known you since, well, practically since you were born. What is it, Ben? I'm just... Worried? Well... About what? I guess about my future. Significantly, when Mrs. Robinson asks Ben to drive her home, she tosses her car keys into the fish tank and Ben has to retrieve them. Oh, my God. Pardon? Oh, no, Mrs. Robinson, oh, no. What's wrong? Mrs. Robinson, you didn't... I mean, you didn't expect... What? I mean, you didn't really think I'd do something like that. <laughs> like what? What do you think? <laughs> well, I don't know. For God's sake, Mrs. Robinson... <laughs> Here we are. You got me into your house. You give me a drink. You put on music. Now you start opening up your personal life to me and tell me your husband won't be home for hours. So? Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Aren't you? Later, it gets worse. Ben's parents haven't put on a scuba diving outfit. Also, they can show him off to their friends as if he were some sort of toy. In fact, he is a toy and will soon be a toy boy. So... While Ben languishes at the bottom of the pool, the image shows that he is cut off from the world, submerged in a symbol of affluence his parents think is important. It's as if Ben were drowning in a world that is always talking at him and does not listen to him. The sound of silence indeed. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Plastics. Exactly. How do you mean? There's a great future in plastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. I've said. That's a deal. But enough about Ben. Let's talk about Mrs. Robinson. Played brilliantly by Anne Bancroft, she is, for me, by far the most interesting character in the film. With her eyes on the young Ben, in today's terms, she would be superficially defined as a cougar. With her leopard skin coat and tiger print dresses, you see how much of a predator she appears to be. But if we care to peel back the outer layer, we will see a very delicate, damaged and increasingly dissipated middle-aged woman. Already a functioning alcoholic, Mrs. Robinson is now descending into the cold waters of infidelity, all in the hope of escaping a sexless, loveless marriage that happened for all the wrong reasons. When she was in college, she fell pregnant, and the child of that hump in the backseat of the Ford sedan has now grown up to be just as beautiful, if not more so, than she was. And so Mrs. Robinson sees in her daughter Elaine her younger self, about to embark on a life and a set of dreams that have long since been snuffed out. Elaine, always dressed in bright pinks and whites, is now the very reminder of a life lost. 
And here is where the film really flips out into something beyond comedy and satire and approaches Greek tragedy. The myth of Hippolytus and Phaedra, to be precise, which tells the story of an older woman whose love is spurned by a younger man. When Mrs. Robinson learns that Ben is now dating Elaine, she begins to twist the fate of her daughter by ensuring that Elaine not only breaks it off with Ben, but that she marries the very sort of man who will stunt and thwart everything Elaine may want to be. All of which puts the ending in a very particular light. It has often been said that the final image of Ben and Elaine on the back of the bus is a cop-out that in reality their relationship would not last any longer than a couple of weeks. But that is not the point. In that crazed scene where Ben crashes the wedding and whisks Elaine away, he has finally stopped staring into the emptiness of his fish tank and started doing something. In a word, he becomes a hero, both to Elaine and himself. Sure, he yells out her name, but he is really yelling to break free himself. And then she yells back. Their future may be uncertain, but Ben's insane gesture has saved Elaine from marrying a doctor and living out her life in a gilded cage. Instead, Ben has helped Elaine escape her mother's fate and made it possible that she will forge her own future. I'm not saying that that is the whole point of the film. I'm saying that it is just one of the many layers within it. And it is one of the many reasons why, some 45 years after its release, we can still learn something from The Graduate.